Hello and welcome to Poetry Blokes, the podcast where one bloke likes poetry and the other doesn't. I'm Matthew Adamo, failed novelist, third-rate poet, and now a beleaguered poetry teacher. And I'm Rich Gochran, a moderately successful engineer and lifelong lover of things that actually matter, like football, cricket, and the ability to make stuff out of wood. I don't hate poetry, but I do think it's a lot of words in a confusing order to say very little. Join us in this series of podcasts as we rummage into the recesses of Rich's mind, pull forth any literary force that may be lying dormant, and see if the world's most literal man can acquire the soul of a poet. He doesn't even believe in souls, so I've got my work cut out already. In this episode, we're looking at Before You Were Mine by Carol Ann Duffy. I'm 10 years away from the corner you laugh on with your pals, Maggie McGinney and Jean Duff. The three of you bend from the waist, holding each other or your knees, and shriek at the pavement. Your polka dot dress blows round your legs. Marilyn. I'm not here yet. The thought of me doesn't occur in the ballroom with the thousand eyes, the fizzy movie tomorrows, the right walk home could bring. I knew you would dance like that. Before you were mine, your ma stands at the close with a hiding for the late one. You reckon it's worth it. The decade ahead of my loud, possessive yell was the best one, eh? I remember my hands in those high-heeled red shoes, relics, and now your ghost clatters toward me over George Square till I see you, clear as scent, under the tree, with its lights, and whose small bites on your neck, sweetheart? Cha-cha-cha, you teach me the steps on the way home from mass, stamping stars from the wrong pavement. Even then, I wanted the bold girl winking in Portobello, somewhere in Scotland before I was born. That glamorous love lasts where you sparkle and waltz and laugh before you were mine. So, Rich, what's all that about? I cannot tell you how much I hated this poem. Great. Good. It's juicy. I absolutely despised it from the first time I read it to the last time I read it. It's actually been quite hard to make notes on it because they're all so negative. <laughs> um, <laughs> what did you hate the most? Oh, I, I think let's just get into it, right? Because just the tone of the poem throughout, I thought was so weird. And like the, the concept is completely insane to me. As usual, I'll give you my general vibe, right? From what I can tell, Caroline Duffy is essentially talking to her mum. Pick that much yep. up, right? And she's sort of describing a time 10 years before her own birth. And she is essentially reminiscing about somebody else's life. Her mother's almost. life, yeah. But in like a really, what comes across to me is like a self-obsessed, whiny, she's putting herself into the past with her mum. And it's like, oh, I wish I was there with her as well. And it just comes across. Or I just read it. I thought, you absolute. <laughs> <laughs> you absolute thing. <laughs> but that's not to say there isn't stuff in it for people, right? That's just my general reaction to it. And as always, <laughs> one of my notes, which I think you'll like, Matt, is the first one I wrote. 
Uh, it just says boring and pointless. I do like that note. Yeah, that's a good one. So yeah, I mean, it's not a great. Sorry, Caroline Duffy, if you listen. <laughs> Um, I haven't read any of your other work. Some of it might be wonderful. I don't know. But this one wasn't for me. I suppose we start working our way through it and maybe you can you can bring me over to the... Maybe a little bit of, of a better understanding would help me. So it starts off, I'm 10 years away from the corner you laugh on with your pals. Very weird way to measure anything. <laughs> well, it's just like you're measuring it in time. You know right poets then. are obsessed with time. You've already picked up on that. Yes. She's using one of the big hitters, one of the big yeah. topics. Time, yeah. death, love. Yeah. That's, but, that's it. Birth right? and trauma. Yeah. She's on the t- straight off, she's banging on about the time. So I'm 10 years away from the corner you laugh on. I don't know why she's, yeah, she, she measures it in time, but then gives a location, which I find quite irritating. <laughs> Not a fan <laughs> of that contrast there. No, I highlighted it and wrote irritating. <laughs> <laughs> Say that, Carolyn Duffy. <laughs> Opening line. You're like this next note in this first stanza, right? I got, I've got all high and mighty about poetry since I've been doing this with you. I now f- feel like I'm, you know, I'm up there with the best of them in terms of the. Analysis. Oh yeah, for sure. The three of you bend from the waist, holding each other or your knees. You shriek at the pavement. Your polka dot dress blows round your legs. Marilyn, and that really wound me up. Now you've spoken to me about imagery before, yeah. And as soon as it said Marilyn there, and it talks about the dress, right? That image comes to my mind. So that's a very famous image of Marilyn Monroe standing over that great mm-hmm. steam vent and it blows her dress up, right? Very famous. Your, fo- your focus is mainly on the steam vent there and less so about Marilyn Monroe's dress being blown up. <laughs> yeah, I'm one of the few people who's more interested in the steam Which, vent. Look yeah. at the load of that vent. <laughs> uh, I was worried about scalding. Oh, absolutely. Me. Take care, Marilyn. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Watch where you're going. But I just thought, that's pretty lazy, isn't it? That's basically nicking somebody else's imagery. There's an interesting thing in this poem where she's obviously like glamming her mum up, as it were, or saying her mum is very glamorous. Because later in the poem, we come to the fact that she's from Portobello in Scotland, but she's relating her to Marilyn Monroe. The thing I thought was slightly odd is that Caroline Duffy says, I'm 10 years away from the corner you laugh on. If Caroline Duffy is 10 years away from that corner, then it's 1945, because Caroline Duffy was born in 1955. That sets the time period as 1945. But 1945 wasn't the year in which Marilyn Monroe's skirt or dress was blown up by the great, wasn't it? Because she didn't get bigger till the, into the 50s. So it's weird to me because it's like, I, I'm going to place it quite specifically in 1945, but then I'm going to give you an image from slightly later than 1945. Just, I thought that was slightly confusing because it's like, why be so precise and then be slightly less precise? <laughs> Don't be precise at all. You just, just frame it in some way that it's like we get the idea that it's roughly around the 50s. No worries. Yeah. In all fairness, though, right? So some positives. We've been quite negative off, off the bat. But I did like the idea of shrieking at the pavement. But I think probably the way that she's thinking of shrieking at the pavement is different to the way I think of shrieking at the pavement. <laughs> like in her one, I imagine it's with, it's with laughter. But with me, it's just screaming at the it's pavement. It's pure rage. Yeah, pure rage and upset about... If I've had a few pints <laughs> and, <laughs> and you know, my phone's only got 5% battery or something, I would shriek at the pavement. This is, now. This is reminiscent of being on a night out and uh, having the Arsenal scores come in. Starting quite good. We're 2-0, we're 2-0 up. Plain sailing. And then as the night goes on, you get progressively more drunk. You're just there sh- shrieking at the pavement. Yeah, one specific example I can think of was, I can't remember the year actually, but Arsenal were, I think, 5-0 up against Newcastle. 
and drew final. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely shrieked at a pavement that day. That <laughs> it's painful. So yeah, in that first one, like you say, setting it 10 years ago, specifically naming two pals. Why bother? Don't care about them. They seem to be having a nice time. It paints her mum as being like this upbeat, fun person, right? The next stanza starts, I'm not here yet. And this is the like the mopey bit. Like, oh, I'm not here yet. It's, it almost seemed like moaning about it to me. I thought, well, what's your problem? Why? Yeah, fine. You're not there yet. You, you mentioned that at the beginning of the first stanza. Why are you telling us that again? We know. I know, that, I know the point of this poem is, is to actually talk about the relationship between a mother and a daughter. But I also do find it quite funny that with that line, it almost, it almost invalidates her life before Caroline Duffy's birth. So it's like, you were having a great, you were having a lovely time, but I wasn't there. So was it really that good? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the vibe, isn't it? It's like, yeah. Can it have been that good before me? But then like in the next stanza, to jump ahead a bit, the next stanza starts, the decade ahead of my loud, possessive yell was the best one. Eh? <laughs> it's so aggressive. Like accusing her mum of saying that your life was better before I came along. Like the 10 years before I came along was much better than, it, yeah, than once I was there. I couldn't quite place the tone of this poem either, actually, to be honest. Because it, it's, it's either sort of one of two in my mind. It's either... Caroline Duffy looking at her mother's life and thinking, oh, you had like this really great and fun life. And then I sort of came along and I feel a bit guilty. You became my mother and my role or my existence therefore changed your life substantially. I feel a bit guilty about that. Or it's the other way around, which is really resentful. And like, I honestly couldn't work out which one it was because it seems in my mind, it kind of flipped between both. I went for the resentful one as I would because naturally... uh... A negative, resentful person. <laughs> a bitter, angry man. <laughs> but there's this bit in the yeah. second stanza where she says, the thought of me doesn't occur in the ballroom with a thousand eyes. And, <laughs> yeah. and I, I, I assume that means that's, it's a glitter ball or a room with lots and lots of people in it. And the fizzy movie tomorrow's yeah. the right walk home could bring. Yeah, I did think there was a big ballroom to have 500 people in it. Yeah, it's either 500 people in a massive ballroom or some sort of glitter ball that has like, sh- you know, shimmery eye type things. The fizzy movie tomorrow's the right walk home could bring. Now, does that mean the sort of romanticized lifestyle, fairy tale romance on the walk home type thing? But then I wasn't quite clear on what the right walk home could bring. What's the wrong walk home? I mean, Matt, this is very frustrating for me because you're supposed to be the one with the answers, mate. I'm the one who's supposed to come with the with the questions. Well, well, this this is the thing with this poem is it sort of leaves it up in the air. And also then it follows with I, I knew you would dance like that. But the narrator's occupying some sort of omniscience position. How at the beginning of the poem, they're talking about ten years before our birth, which is fine. You can understand that conceptually. But then in the second yeah. stanza, I I knew you would dance like that. Does that mean? But that's that's a scene that she's created in which her mother is dancing, which she's looking at from a third person omniscient perspective, saying, "I knew you'd do that." Oh. <laughs> <sighs> And then it follows on with the sort of the possessiveness before you were mine. Your ma stands at the close. Or was that the close? Oh, maybe I misread it. Your ma stands at the close of the club? Well, the close does she live in a close? They live in a little cold. I read it like she lived in a close. Yeah. Your ma stands at the yeah. close with a hiding for the late one. You reckon it's worth it. Cool. And then it moves on to that <laughs> that line that you mentioned. The decade ahead of my loud possessive yell was the best one, eh? Well, yeah, it would be if if all you're doing is loud possessive yelling. Yeah. I, if that's your primary, if that's what you're bringing to a relationship, before you started doing that, I would think those are the best 10 years before she was yelling at me possessively. But it's, in, it's interesting. I find 
the mother-daughter relationship here that she sets up to be quite interesting because it's based almost entirely on possession and phases. So there's a pre-birth life her mother has and a post-birth life. And the post-birth life is dominated by who I assume to be Caroline Duffy's own possession of her mother because she refers to her as being hers before you were mine. I'm not here yet. Possessive yell. There's all these sort of notes of possession, but there doesn't seem to be any... There's a real distinct lack of emotionality in this poem, despite it being about her mother. There's like a little bit of it, but not that much. So she goes on to the third stanza. Your ghost clatters towards me over George Square till I see you clear as scent under the tree with its lights. And whose small bites on your neck, sweetheart? Yeah, again, my notes to that just read. What? So she's seeing the ghost of her mother with love bites, I assume, small bites on the neck. So she's asking her mother who's given her the love bites. Again, curious tone. Is it a happy tone? Like, oh, look at you, you scamp. It's more like an accusation. But is it like, yeah, is she saying, <laughs> is she mate. saying, is she being positive or negative towards her mother? I, I, I've got no idea. No idea. And the final stanza, cha-cha-cha, you teach me the steps on the way home from mass. So there's a contrast there between sort of the frivolity of the dancing and the austere nature of a mass. Stamping stars from the wrong pavement. Now, I can only assume that the right pavement is the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And that's the reference to the stars. Stamping stars from the wrong pavement. But then there's a wrong pavement and a right pavement. So if the right pavement is the Hollywood Walk of Fame, is Carol Ann Duffy saying the pavement that her mother is on with her is the wrong one. And if it is the wrong one, is Carol Ann Duffy to blame for that? It was her own birth, pulling her, her mother away from a life of glamour. Even then I wanted the bold girl winking a portobello somewhere in Scotland before I was born. So she's like, I wanted this romanticised notion I have of you. That's what I want. Because she cannot, she cannot from that position know what her mother was like before her own birth. That is logically impossible. But she wants the idea that she has of her mother. That glamorous love lasts where you sparkle and waltz and laugh before you were mine. I find this it's quite complex. The glamorous love lasts where you sparkle and waltz and laugh before you were mine. So the love I want to have, or rather Caroline Duffy, the love Caroline Duffy wants to have of her mother is the love of her romanticised notion of what her mother was like before her own birth. Quite a lot of layers. Quite a lot of very boring. I just don't know what, I don't know what that means at the end of it. No. Are you trying to convey that your relationship <laughs> with your mother is preferably based on an idea that you have of her? Well, by the time I got to the end of this, right, I was a bit worried that Caroline Duffy was potentially unwell and had a fever. Or she she watched her own poem while she was delirious. Yeah, she was she was in a delirious fever. Just was just rambling because I just had absolutely no idea what she was talking about. Well, the only thing her mother does is laugh with her friends. Then the rest of the poem, even in the beginning of the the middle of the first stanza, is it begins Caroline Duffy's conceptualization of her mother when she talks about Marilyn. So the first four lines is basically. There you are, Mum. I can see you omnisciently from this perspective all the way back in the past and you are laughing with your friends on the street where you live, we assume. 
Okay, no problem yeah. there. Absolutely fine. Absolutely Thumbs fine. up. Fair enough. You got that. Sounds cool. Then it begins. The following three stanzas are essentially Carol Ann Duffy, her own ideas of her mother, yeah, predicated on the fact that she hasn't yet been born. But she's still talking about these things, but she hasn't been born. So all these things happen before her birth, but also relate to the possessiveness of Carol Ann Duffy, which is delivered into her mother's life by Carol Ann Duffy's own birth. It's a weird yeah. one, but you're quite right. It's very um, Duffy-centric, <laughs> Carol Ann Duffy-centric. Yeah, so it's very self-indulgent. The only bit of imagery I really enjoyed was in the third stanza. It says, I remember my hands in those high-heeled red shoes, relics, and now your ghost clatters towards me over George Square. And that brought to me an image of her mum on a horse. <laughs> I've never been to George Square, but in my mind it's cobbled. And the only thing that clatters really over a square is a horse. You know the sound I'm talking about, the, the clip Absolutely. sound. And so well, her mum's a ghost, and at this point her mum's dead. So there's a bit of death in this poem. As always. Obviously, yeah. standard yeah. time death. And I thought of the ghost of a mum on a horse, and that quite entertained me. As I thought, why would you put your mum on a horse? <laughs> Some sort of shade or like a, what do you call them, spirit yeah, riding from the underworld. To, <laughs> yeah, and then and then she sees sees them clear as scent, yeah. which doesn't really make any sense. Under the tree, shady, with its lights. I, I can't. There's no story much. I haven't got much to give you today. Well, primarily, I'm assuming that there's a tree in George Square that is wrapped with fairy lights or similar. Should we Google? Or that? yeah, go for it. Or secondarily, a bit of a stretch that George Square. She's related. She's referencing George Square and its lights. George Square, Edinburgh, south of the city centre, laid out in 1766. No mention of a tree. It's actually Glasgow. Is there a George Square in Glasgow? Oh, is it Glasgow? Is it? How do you know that? Done a bit of research, mate. Got a big statue in the middle of it. There's no. I'd say there's no trees of note in the image I'm looking at. Maybe some renovation works. Not cobbled either. That's unfortunate. That is a shame. Any skeletons riding horses with broadswords? <laughs> There's a ghost man, not a skeleton. Sorry, how silly of me. No evidence of any ghost mums in polka dot dresses riding across the square. Do you have a premier product or sensational service that Poetry Bloke listeners would love? Advertise with us to reach an audience who love to laugh, are obviously very cool and sophisticated, and have immaculate taste. I mean, they're here listening to this gold, aren't they? Go to poetryblokes.com forward slash advertising to advertise with us today. So, uh, yeah, it's a very weird one. Fourth stanza starts cha-cha-cha, which I absolutely hated reading. <laughs> Why? Because it's, it forced me to read the words cha-cha-cha in a sort of jaunty way. A dancey sort of a way. Yeah, but by the time I'd got there, I was in such a bad mood about this poem anyway that... I thought, don't try and make this. <laughs> don't try and make this light. Um, How dare you! So yeah. Anyway, that's the that's the analysis, really, Matt. Like, it's not positive about this poem at all. What would you say to Carolyn Duffy if she were if she were listening to this podcast right now? I would ask for some some context. What's this about? What's your problem with your mum? Why do you need her to be something she isn't? Why can't you just let her live her life? Why do you need to be involved in this? My opening question would be. Did you like your mum? Because I, I feel like that would help me frame this poem quite a lot. I would say, what? what's this about? <laughs> hi, hi, Carolyn Duffy. Uh, Rich here. 
what is this about? What's this yeah. all about? Why did you write this down? It doesn't seem well. And what it. happened to Maggie McGinney and Jean Duff? Mentioned early doors, but then don't get anything later on. Then they get a name check, you get a shout out in the first stanza, but nothing, no follow up. No follow up. What, what, what's their story arc? I'd like to know. Yeah, I mean, they sound like characters from Harry Potter. <laughs> they're having a wild um, time in the street and then they just sort of fade into the ether, never to come yeah. back because they're not conceptualised in Caroline Duffy's mind. Yeah, once, once her polka dot dress blows around her legs, they just, they just fade into the mist, never to be seen again. Her mum mounts her ghost horse and rides off into and the clatters on. Off to the thousand-eyed ballroom. This poem feels like to me, it's like, you know, if you're watching a film... You're watching maybe like an art house film. It might surprise you to know that that's not something I'm. I know how that feels. Okay, but please describe. You've watched, you've watched a foreign film though, right, with subtitles. Uh, yes, I uh, have. Yeah. And, yes, and a, a sort of slightly arty one in that you're you're watching the film, but because you don't implicitly understand the context, you have to piece. Every, you have to stitch every scene together to try and make the story out of it. You know, like when you watch one of those films and you're like, oh, hang on. Oh, they're brothers. Oh, okay. Oh, and that's their dad. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Oh no, but he's had to go to war. Oh, and he like you stitch it all together in the end. And uh, so, like watching every single film with my wife. Is that what happens? I guess I can imagine that. Did she just ask loads of questions about the plot? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like. I I know it's quite a common trope. She uh, she expects me to know things about the film, even though I've watched the exact same amount of the film that she has. Oh, uh, yeah. She's like, yeah. Oh, are they about? Are they about to go off to war? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Are they are they related in some way? <laughs> no idea. <laughs> that is great. I, there's always that person, like when you turn over a film. Well, of course, my annoying one of the many annoying things I do, but one thing that I do uh, during films is I will see someone's face. Normally, it's like a minor character or like a cameo or something, and I'll be like, "Oh, I know who that is." Uh, and then I'll be like, "Oh no, I know, I know, you know, you know who that is." And then I'll be like, "He was in that film." You know, there's no details coming forth. It's just like a, a faded image, like a mirage in my mind. And then I'll spend the rest of the film, if it's at home, Googling or like looking at IMDb to try and find this other film that I've seen this person in and then, and then find the <laughs> cast list and then find the actor. And then like literally like 20 minutes later, yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, he was in that film. And then nobody cares. No one cares. And I don't... No, I know exactly yeah. what you mean. I do something similar. I sort of pride myself on my ability to recognise people. Um, <laughs> I often say I never forget a face, but evidence to the contrary, because I see their face and I think, Yarrr. I know I've seen that face before, like you. That's an astounding lie, because I know that when we first met, we saw each other in a club and that you didn't remember <laughs> seeing me the second time we met. No, 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 that's incorrect. Oh, okay. Right. I always remembered who people were, but... <laughs> I didn't want to give you the satisfaction of knowing <laughs> that I'd remembered you, just in case you hadn't remembered me. So it's a defence mechanism. I was like, I'm not going to recognise that guy until he recognises me. That's this is the was. weirdest thing where you understand that I actually met Rich because I knew his ex-girlfriend. So I said hello to her in the club and then he was just standing behind her, not talking. It's very much Rich's approach to the early years of university. And then I saw her again and said, oh, hi. and she was with you again and so I looked at you and went alright and then you just blanked me and that's what <laughs> that's what started a fairly in the grand scheme of things a fairly short campaign of um, actively slagging you off basically and complaining to other people when I found out you were going to be at an event <laughs> <laughs> you're not the first person to have disliked me upon meeting me 
um, only to later be won over by my sparkling personality. <laughs> so you always brought beer around, so I thought you were all right after that. I think that's why. I brought beer around and I watched Platoon. That's you. right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was it. And then we, we bonded. You literally always turned up at my house with like an 18-pack. I will never, even to this day, I can't stand the idea of going somewhere and not bringing enough beer for myself, but also everybody else who's going to be there, potentially. Yeah. So I never go anywhere without at least, I'd say, 12 to 16 beers. And that's generous, but the problem was that it was you and our other friends who'd all, each of you, turn up with an 18-pack, and that's when you have a problem. That's when you know you have a drinking <laughs> problem. When it's just one person with that's an 18-pack, right. fine. When it's three guys bringing an 18-pack and getting through them, bit of an issue. I mean, what's the problem? <laughs> <laughs> Everything's worked out fine. <laughs> well, for you, for others, possibly less so. People left in my yeah, wake. Yeah, absolutely. My destructive wake. Yeah, I, I mean, it did cause some tension between us and your housemate. We were, we didn't always tidy up after ourselves. I acknowledge that we weren't the greatest house guests. <laughs> I think that the way you feel about this poem by Caroline Duffy is similar to how Caroline Duffy will feel about this episode of the podcast. <laughs> and by extension for probably both of us i mean we've we've actually we've gone in on her pretty hard all we've said really is that this is a slightly confusing poem the perspective is tricky and that as you said at the beginning you haven't read any other poems by carol and duffy so that you're not going to judge her just on this one poem but this particular poem is not for you and maybe she'll say exactly the same thing about this podcast maybe she'll say i like what you guys are doing you're talking about poetry Maybe the podcast is a good one, but your analysis of this poem is absolutely shocking. Yeah, and I think she'd be spot on. I don't think this is our best work. (laughs) (laughs) I think we could all, you know, just buy each other a pint or whatever Carolyn Duffy's tipple is. We just have that and then, you know, stand up maybe. I did mention to you before we started recording that I've had a few day beers today and I think maybe that's tainted my ability to communicate my emotions and probably analyse this poem. Did you have any emotions about this poem? Anger. You communicated that, I think. Tick. No, that was just that one. So I think the day beers helped that, if anything, helped to express that. Yeah, they helped bring out the, the honest side of it. And me. I think Caroline Duffy would respect yeah. that. <laughs> She's from Glasgow. <laughs> Is she? Oh, she'd absolutely ruin us then, wouldn't she? Well, speaking of Caroline Duffy, should I give you the biography? Yeah, go on then. Let's find out some more about Caroline. Caroline Duffy, or Dame Caroline Duffy, as you should call her. Ooh. Was born on the 23rd of December, 1955, in Glasgow. A couple of days before Christmas. Yeah. A true gift. Bad time. Bad time to be born, I think. Oh, it could be delightful at the time. We get all your presents within a very short space of time each yeah, year. Yeah, that could be frustrating, yeah. It's very feast and famine on the present front. I think I'd just demand two presents. I'd just be unruly and be like, no, you must buy me two. Or you don't love me. What, in June? We'll just have another birthday in June. Yeah. Yeah. Balance it out. Well, Carol, Rich says, have a birthday in June. (laughs) That's my gift to you. (laughs) And guess what, Rich? In 2009 to 2019, she served as the... President of the United States. Oh, so close. (laughs) Begins with the same letter. uh, Poet Laureate. Poet Laureate. I was just about to guess. She was Poet Laureate. So she lived in Glasgow until she was six when her and her family moved to Stafford. Her father was a fitter for an electric company, so you'll like that. 
Yeah, I do like that. Well done. And uh, interesting that you said president because he ran an unsuccessful bid for parliament in 1983. Which party? Labour. Interesting. Uh, Caroline Duffy grew up attending convent schools and began Ooh. publishing her poetry in magazines at 14. She went on to study at Liverpool University and graduated with a degree in philosophy in 1977, after which she began publishing several books and travelling to both read and teach poetry. She worked as poetry critic for The Guardian from 1988 to 89 and as an editor for the poetry magazine Ambit. And just for your knowledge, Ambit is a well-respected poetry magazine. So it's, it's a big one that she's gone for there. Right. In 1996, she began lecturing in poetry at Manchester Met, where she later became creative director of the writing school. In 1999, the British media claimed that Duffy had been considered for the position of Poet Laureate, but that Prime Minister at the time, Tony Blair, feared her homosexuality would not be well received by Middle England. Oh, come on, Tony. Get with the time. Yeah. But at, so Andrew Motion was chosen instead, as the rumour goes. So I'm sure Andrew Motion is a fine poet as well. Upon accepting the position, after Motion's turn, in 2009, Duffy made it clear in interviews that she had agreed to become Poet Laureate only because, since the position's inception in the 17th century, no woman had previously held the post. So she was the first woman Poet Laureate. She also expressed impatience with claims that her sexuality had kept her from that post. She served as Poet Laureate for 10 years, ending it in 2019. She has a lot of accolades for her work, Scottish Arts Council Award, the Costa Book Award, and the T.S. Eliot Prize. She was named Officer of the Order of the British Empire in 1995, advanced Commander in 2002, and was named Dame Commander of the British Empire in 2015. So that's not bad, is it? That's a pretty uh, stellar career. Well done, Carol. Do you want to give us your engineer's overview of this poem? Yes, I do. Would you like to tell listeners what it is that I do? Absolutely. So every week after reading the poem, Rich creates an engineer's overview of that poem, which is a sharper, concise overview of that poem, according to Rich. Uh, so based on that, I'm going to hand over to Rich for his engineer's overview of Before You Are Mine by Carol Ann Duffy. Before You Are Mine by Carol Ann Duffy. I'm not born yet. I hear mum was fun back then. I wish I was there, ruining it. The end. You really got to the core of that poem there, Rich. I think I've absolutely nailed it. <laughs> I'd love to get Karen and Duffy's feedback on both that analysis and just this, this podcast in general. There's a little bit of me that feels a bit guilty about this podcast. I, I hope she has a dark sense of humour and she really enjoys it. But uh, I, I'm, I'm yeah. optimistic. I'm, I'm being optimistic. We'll let you know if Caroline Duffy gets back to us. Please join us next week where we look at Famous by Naomi Shihab Nye. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Rich. No, thank you. Thanks for the memory. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a well-known poem you'd like us to discuss? Or maybe you've written your own engineer's overview you'd like to share. And if you have an embarrassing poetry-related story, well, then you definitely have to get in touch. Go to poetryblokes.com forward slash submissions now to let us know all about it, and you could play a part in the next show. Poetry Blokes is created and hosted by Matthew Adamo and Richard Gochran. Our theme music is Press Start by The Laszlo Project. Buy their music by going to bandcamp.com and searching The Laszlo Project. Our producer is Dominic Gore.